Bibles open to uh, Colossians 1. Um, you, you may want to put uh, something there to mark it. We'll be over in, in different places of the Bible tonight, but primarily in Colossians chapter 1, and primarily in the book of Colossians. Father, we uh, approach the sacred discipline of study with, um, with fear in the sense of awe, knowing that we are not uh, approaching the, the words of, of mere human beings, but words that were first birthed in your mind and imagination, and through your Spirit, Father, transmitted through uh, the, the mystery of your Spirit to human beings like our brother Paul to communicate to us deep treasures of, of knowledge about your world and about your church. Father, we, we pray to, to see and to hear these words in a way that will not cause us to stumble, but to stand up straight with a deeper and more profound vision of our future, beginning with discerning your will and your wisdom for our life. And so with all of our heart, Father, and with confession of all of our inadequacies, we do ask for the blessing of eyes that see and ears that hear. We pray, Father, never to take for granted these moments of study, knowing that there are other places all around us, and even in this own country, where the opportunity to study is not always welcome. We are grateful for these next few minutes. Bless us in it. We pray all of this with all of our heart in the name of Jesus. Amen. Imagine uh, God coming to you and saying to you that He would give you whatever your heart desired, sort of a uh, young King Solomon moment, going all the way back to, to Second Chronicles chapter 1. He comes to you and He asks you, what is it that you would like for me, the Creator of the universe, to give to you? What would you ask for? You know, the funny thing about that happening in Second Chronicles chapter 1 is that I don't know of any other place in the Bible where that kind of offer is made to a human being outside of Solomon. But what's interesting is what Solomon said. He said, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Give me wisdom and knowledge. Now, the, the beautiful thing that Solomon asked for is the very thing that Paul is praying for to happen in this, this new church that Epaphras has started in Colossae. They're part of the, the Lycus Valley, not far from Laodicea and Hierapolis, not far from Ephesus. And the reason that he is praying to God to grant these new Christians in Colossae 
this kind of knowledge and this kind of wisdom is because key to spiritual growth is wisdom. Key to spiritual growth is wisdom. Now, as we've said, there have been these people that have uh, sort of disrupted the unity and, and, the, and the tranquility of the church in Colossae. And part of the way they did that was to say that Jesus is this good start, but you need something besides Jesus or something in addition to Jesus to be able to get all of the way. We've called them the Jesus plus something else people. Now, when we say, or if they would hear me say that key to spiritual growth is wisdom, that Jesus plus something else, or Jesus plus, you know, the gospel plus something else, they would have agreed with that. They would have agreed that spiritual growth and wisdom are linked together like cogs in a transmission. Where they disagreed, though, is where that wisdom is found. Paul would say that the wisdom that leads to true spirituality, true spirituality being that sanctification process in which we as human beings, having given our life through faith to Christ, having participated in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in our baptism, having repented of our sins, confessed His Lordship, we would understand that true spirituality as us in that state of salvation being transformed into many Jesuses. Now listen to what Paul says in verse 9 again. Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom, and understanding. Now, one of the beautiful things about belonging to any church family, regardless of the size, is that we, we get the information and we get the details and we get the facts when someone is struggling with their faith. And we all know how to pray for that. We know how to pray for someone who is struggling with a relationship or the loss of a relationship. We, we know how to pray for people that are grieving. We know how to struggle with someone in prayer, who is in a tough bind and facing some incredibly serious and, and rich decisions in their life. We know how to pray for someone who is really, really Ill, ill. But do we pray for people on a regular basis for these folk that we call brothers and sisters to continue growing in their knowledge of God's will? Do we pray, in other words for people to be God-wise. When is the last time, think about it, this is just a personal, introspective kind of a question, but outside of yourself, praying for wisdom, when is the last time you prayed for some brother or sister in Christ to be God-wise? To be wise as God would make them wise. To be wise as God is wise. To be wise as, as the Bible instructs our mind in understanding of God's will to be wise. Paul knows full well that Satan will try to impede the continued growth of people who are doing pretty well in the faith. Satan does not want them to become more rooted in Jesus. And the way to keep them from growing deeper is to impede the development of spiritual wisdom in them. I mean, how many times have you said, I can't believe that brother so-and-so or sister and so-and-so just made this horrendous decision? 
How, how many folk do you know right now who are operating outside of God's wisdom and, and are making decisions that are plunging them into a pit? One of the things that Paul does is to pray for people to become God-wise. And when Paul thinks about all of the things that he can pray for when it comes to his interaction and his understanding of human beings, what he does pray for is for them to be blessed with an increased capacity to think about things spiritually. Now, the old living Bible says it this way in verse uh, verse 9, make you wise about spiritual things. And this is something that Paul does consistently. It's not just for the church in Colossae. One of the things that you may have noticed if you've read Ephesians and Colossians uh, back-to-back and have read them recently is that there's a lot of of, uh, uh, congruency between the two thoughts that you find in those two letters. But Paul is consistently praying for Christians to be filled with this kind of wisdom. He writes to the church in Ephesians at the beginning of that letter, very much like he writes about it in the very beginning of the letter to to the Colossians. He says, I keep asking. It's not just a one-time occurrence for Paul, but he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. Now, after 35 years, more or less, in ministry, what I I discern in the lives of most church folk is that in churches, we are filled with people who are infants rather than adults in spiritual matters, that you can grow old in a pew a lot more easily than you can grow up in the kingdom. We all know um, lots of folk, you know, men in particular, who, when their wives leave town, they go hungry. You can go into their kitchen, and the fridge is full of food. The cupboard, you open that pantry up, and there's all kinds of cans. And if there's not potato chips in there, basically the guy is going to starve to death, surrounded by food, but they don't know how to cook. They don't know, because they don't know how to cook, how to nourish themselves. A lot of believers, a lot of people who are disciples of Jesus of Nazareth are like that. Their spiritual growth is impeded, although they are surrounded by all of the resources they need to grow. The issue is they don't take advantage. They don't take advantage of it. But the, but the, the resolve here is to learn how to spiritually nourish ourselves. And again, this is probably a lot of the problem in the church of Colossae. It's a fairly new church. People are doing okay, as we saw last week. There's faith and there's hope and there's love that's being developed in the church. People are doing pretty well. Epaphras is happy. But now there are some folk who come along and they challenge them on the level of spiritual maturity by saying to them that to gain ground in the area of spiritual maturity, you have to get beyond Christ to the knowledge that they can give. And Paul says, yet... Actually, he probably said no. That's not wisdom. Remember, the beginning theme of Colossians is that in Christ, in Christ are all of the treasures that you need. In Christ is the bounty of the blessings that you need to be able to grow up into Christ's likeness. In Christ, as Paul will say, in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 3, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
He will say in the next chapter, chapter 3, let the word of Christ, and I cannot wait to get to this passage and preach on it, let the word of Christ do what? You know the passage, dwell. Dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Now what does it mean to be filled with all wisdom? When Paul says, this is one I'm praying for, and I keep praying for it, the people in Ephesus, what does it mean to, to be filled with all wisdom? The idea behind the all wisdom is, maybe to translate it a little bit uh, more strictly or literally, is to be under the influence of that all wisdom. Christians are to be controlled and to be under the influence of the wisdom of God. They are to be controlled by it. Paul prays for the brothers and sisters in Colossae to be directed in their lives, in their decision-making, in where they place their affections, what the, the decisions they make about their resources and relationships, to be directed by the wisdom of God. So what is this wisdom of God? It is not secular wisdom that has been baptized. Now we do that a lot. But for Paul, it, wisdom, all wisdom of God is not baptizing this secular wisdom. You see, the, the, um, one of the things that's very prevalent, especially in the, um, the, the, the writing Christian world, the, the, of Christian books, is that you see writings on counseling, on church leadership, and things like this that are basically very secular. They've just been baptized and given a Christian spin. I have in my library... I have this book called Jesus CEO that I bought probably 20 years ago. And I thought, hey, well, you know, it's leadership. I'm back in the States. I'll figure out what uh, leadership is reading this book. I got a few pages into it. And I said, I don't think the person that's writing this book has ever read anything in the Bible about Jesus. They're just selling a book because they've baptized some of the language of secular leadership. It's the same with counseling and other areas. Paul is, is, is not praying that the brothers and sisters in Colossae receive this. Paul has a very clear distinction in his mind between secular and divine wisdom. If you go to places like 2 Corinthians, he says this and states it and writes it very clearly. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relationships with you in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have, not, we have done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. Which means that a lot of times when people as Christians, new Christians, were interacting with Paul, some of the things that he did were counterintuitive. In, second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, We've not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. That is, what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in the words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. It's not merely Bible knowledge. Now that sounds, I know, a little controversial. I do not mean that Bible knowledge is not important. It is. I believe in memorizing Scripture. Uh, I'm happy, happy, happy that our kiddos that are growing up 
The first and second floor of our learning center are being trained by Seanette and all of those teachers to memorize Scripture. I'm thankful that Cody is doing that, and our Bible teachers are really pressing people not just to read, but to know, and to know through memorization, and to memorize God's Word for their hearts. But if knowledge of the Bible is all there is to biblical wisdom, or to the wisdom from above, then why is Paul praying for wisdom to bless the lives of the Colossians? Why does he not just say, which is the easier thing to say, commit to your heart the words of Scripture and you'll have all the wisdom you need? Why does he say, I'm praying for you to be blessed by a wisdom that comes from God? Listen again to verse 9. We have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now you can be filled with the Word, and it is a great thing. But not at times, there, there are those that can be filled with the Word, but not filled with the wisdom that God grants through that Word. There are people that make reckless decisions with their morality and, and their relationships and their resources and all of these different things. And they can quote you the Scriptures, but there in no way has there been a connect between the wisdom of God that He gives us through His Spirit and through His Word about those kinds of things. So three examples of spiritual wisdom as he would lay it out for the church in Colossae. He says in verse 10, We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. In your Bibles, underline that phrase, bearing fruit in every good work. Now with that in mind, a mark of spirituality is moving from law to fruit. You do not earn your status with God through deeds. But at the same time, nowhere do you find in Scripture that works are de-emphasized. If you do, if you de-emphasize the, the presence of works in your life, you are thinking in a very unspiritual way, a la the letter to James. James says, you say that you have faith, I'll see it when you show me your works that are the fruit of that faith. Good works, properly understood, are a sign of God at work in the life of a believer. Uh, several weeks ago, many of you know that Ellen's mom and dad recently had been put into assisted living. And uh, Ellen and I made a, sort of a weekend trip up there to visit with them and spend time with them to check in to see how they're doing. One of the things they wanted to do while we were with them was to go back to their house, which they still own, and to just visit their house and maybe pick up a couple of things that they might need in assisted living. While we were there, they wanted to spend time in the backyard. While we were in the backyard walking around, looking at things, watering things that needed to be watered, Doyle started talking about this gigantic pecan tree that he has in the backyard. My father-in-law is a lover of pecans, has an eagle eye for pecans buried in the grass, and will pull them out and will shell them. And he started bragging on this pecan tree that he has in his backyard, and he says, you know, that may be the largest and tallest pecan tree in all of Lubbock. And he may be right. But one of the things that happened while we were there is we were stepping on pecans. I mean, you could not go anywhere without stepping on a pecan in that backyard, and you couldn't help but think about that tree. And when you think about that tree, you think about the presence of all of those pecans. 
And you, you, you begin to understand that because that tree is healthy and because it's fruitful and because it's been around and it's, it's this very mature pecan tree, it is producing a lot of fruit. The fruit of that tree, or the nut in this case, is a result of that tree being healthy and mature and rooted deeply in the soil and well watered. Nobody would say that that fruit that is hanging on that tree is what created that tree behind it. It is the tree behind it that created that fruit. And that is one of the things that Paul and the rest of the New Testament teaches about spiritual wisdom, that it, that fruit that we bear in this life is a sign that spiritual wisdom, the way that we live, our perspective, our angles of understanding, our perspective on, on things, where we have placed our affections, all of that is kingdom-driven. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, For it is by grace that you have been saved. There it is, through faith. And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Your salvation is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In Titus chapter 2, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. In the New Testament, the problem is not between grace and good works. The problem in the New Testament is between grace and merit. A second thing, well, the first thing is you are moving from this idea of legalism that earns you into God's kingdom into a place where because of who God has made you in Christ through faith and baptism and repentance and confession and, all, and, 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 and through prayer and all of these things, you are now moving to a place where your life produces fruit. You're looking like the Christ. Secondly, it's being able to persevere through pain. He says in chapter 1, verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. You know, when you think about the wisdom of the world, a lot of that wisdom is about evading pain. And it is true that the wisdom of the Bible can help you to evade a lot of pain in your life, but a wise person does not associate God's power and might with a painless existence. In this fallen world, God allows people to suffer in order to strengthen their faith. And sometimes God is the author of suffering in order to strengthen people's faith. One of the things that Peter was trying to express to those folk living in the Roman world, he says, For it is better if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Kevin Witham, whom you know, uh, uh, was a preacher in California, moved to the, um, uh, to the Westover Hills Church in Austin. We invited him down a couple of times uh, to preach for us during his, his ministry in Texas. He's now back in California on the West Coast. But he has a father-in-law that, that Ellen and I, Ellen has known since she was a, a teenager, and, and I met back in the 80s, and a very well-respected, uh, now deceased missionary in Zimbabwe, Africa. His name was Rob Thompson. He was, he was Scottish, but spent his life ministering to people in Zimbabwe. And he passed away a couple of years ago, and in his, nearly all of his adult years, 
he had one of the most crippling and painful forms of arthritis I have ever seen. His, his features, his limbs were, were warped because of the arthritis in constant pain. And a couple of years ago, as before he died, as it, it was looking as he was suffering greatly and that his health was declining, he was going to take a, a turn, Kevin and his wife, Karen, had traveled to Zimbabwe to, to be with her father, and Kevin was asked to, to say a prayer, and he once prayed in Rob's presence, Father, take away Rob's suffering. And I don't, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but uh, it's very rare that somebody will interrupt you and uh, correct your prayer in the middle of that prayer. But that was Rob. And he piped up in the middle of the prayer and he said, Kevin, don't pray for the suffering to be taken away. Pray for my faith to be stronger to bear up under it. When Jesus in Luke 22 is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is praying and praying and praying and praying. It is such a, an incredibly intense prayer. The sweat drops with the blood in it. He's asking for the cup to be uh, taken away from him, not to drink from it. And what he gets instead is an angel. Instead of the cup being removed, he gets an angel. Why does he get an angel? To be strengthened in order to continue suffering. You want to know uh, something that I believe is incredibly hard in our culture to embrace about Christianity? One of the platforms by which God shows himself powerful and proves himself precious and a treasure is pain. This was the hard lesson for Paul to learn. In that really famous passage, 12th chapter, 2 Corinthians, God says to Paul, who has been praying intensely for this thorn in the flesh to be taken away, God says to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. See, this is where it's, it's not worldly wisdom being baptized. Worldly wisdom being baptized is the, 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 the prosper, the, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. This is, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That is so counterintuitive. But that's godly wisdom. To know that when you're walking along and you're resting in God's grace and knowing that weakness is going to come because of the kind of world that we live in, thus is the world, thus have we made it. That one of the places where we are strong are in those moments of pain. One of the places where God is most intensely real to us is in that valley of the shadow of death. And we've seen it. We've seen the power of God manifested in weakness. I think of... Um, I'm, I'm one of these guys that the sun never sets without me thinking about Brazil. And I think of, of a lot of our brothers and sisters in Brazil who are impoverished, 
and who go without many of the things that you and I would consider to be necessities. But they would ride a bus for about an hour and a half, sometimes two hours, just one way to go to church. And I look out over the audience of of people at Mac every Sunday morning, and because of your relationship with me and and mine with yours, I, I know about financial struggles and struggles with kids and struggles with marriages and I know about illness, illnesses and I know about depressions. And I also see the power of God in weakness. C.S. Lewis was once asked, why, why do righteous people suffer? And his response was something like this, because they're the only ones that can handle it. Part of the wisdom that Paul is praying for is that this church understand that they they need to move away from that legalistic view of Christianity where when I do good, then I am good, and when I do bad, then I'm bad. I mean, we're on this trajectory to become many Christ and to bear fruit in this life. A second is to persevere through pain and not allow pain to have have one, one inch of your faith ground. And then the last thing is to have joy because you enjoy your salvation. Here's what Paul says in Colossians 1, again, 11 and 12. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. This might be a good scripture to memorize. You know, Paul is not praying for them to get a passport into God's kingdom because they already have that. And a lot of us are are in our prayers constantly begging God to do what He has already done. He says in verse 13, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know, in the ancient world, an army would come like those Assyrians or those those Babylonians, they would defeat the people, they would carry them off into captivity. And this is the kind of imagery, quite frankly, that Paul is using in what they would have heard as he is saying all of this. What Paul is saying is that God has defeated sin in your life. That is your enemy, sin and death. That has been defeated and he has taken you off into his kingdom. You know, we have to stop praying for God to save us, that God will save us because He's already done that. What we have to start praying for is that we will live wisely according to that truth. You want to know something curious about the armor of God in Ephesians 6? What is the helmet? The helmet of salvation. You cannot take your stand against the devil unless you are sure in your mind that you are a saved human being. And knowing you are saved helps you keep your head, ironically, the helmet, 
of salvation. It keeps your head in the game. How many times has Satan whispered in your ear that, that you're not saved? I mean, we talked about that this morning. I think every disciple of Jesus has at least one moment in their life where they listen a little bit more intently to that whisper than they should. What Paul is here to say and what we're here to believe is that our salvation is lavished upon us in advance of what Satan is going to say to us about that. What the Spirit whispers is, do you know that you are not lost? And are you joyful in the knowledge that you are saved? And are you, because of that, wise? James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Jeff's going to leave us in a song. Our shepherds will be down here at the front. If there are ways that we might minister to you tonight, these spiritual leaders down here at the front, we'd be happy to talk with you and to pray with you tonight. Let's, um, let's stand and let's praise God. And if there's a way we can minister to you, come down and talk to these shepherds. Let's stand in praise. Before the throne.